0: Welcome to another episode of the Area 51 Hockey Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Warren. You could follow along in the conversation with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. In affiliation with Overtime Heroics and Big Heads Media, we want to create a platform for you, the fans, the aspiring creators, creators, and connects community members alike to share your thoughts and ideas. Without further ado, welcome back to Area 51. Welcome back to the Area 51 Hockey
1: Podcast. It's your host Sean Warren and I'm joined this week with our first guest Mr. Booth. Mr. Booth how's it going today?
2: It's going pretty well how about yourself Sean?
1: Hey, It's going good it's just another week in quarantine. Uh, the weather's nice though so it's actually actually worthwhile going out and doing uh, little walks through the park uh, it really at is, this yeah. point so uh, that's a big difference from uh, when it was up in Kamloops, we've had kind of some weird weather. Uh, the last couple of weeks, we had like random snowfalls and, and stuff like that, really cold winds. Oh, wow. But um, it's gotten a lot nicer back to the usual Kamloops that uh, that I know and love. It's <laughs> <That's
2: laughs> good stuff. Now, it's been pretty good here down the lower mainland. We've had some good sunshine both today and yesterday. So it was nice to get out of the house a little bit yesterday. And, uh, you know, I've been trying to get out of the house as much as I can, right? But, um, there's only so much we can do with, uh, with the measures in place, but uh, you know I've been I've been coping pretty well with uh, whole quarantine thing and just uh, keeping a positive mindset. So um, yeah, but hopefully there's a there's an end in sight soon here.
1: Yeah, I hope so. I know we're all kind of going stir crazy, missing any sports, not even just hockey, just any anything at this point. I think if they threw on darts it'd be the most heavily watched sport of all time (laughs) at this point just because we're all just dying to see something new but uh it's it's kind of cool they've been doing lots of uh throwback broadcasts uh different different games from uh either the 2011 era we've even had some from 94 um some some cool kind of uh into the vault archives uh games that have come out and, and watch have you watched any
2: uh, I tried getting through a few. I think that uh, the 2011 one. They got Game Seven against uh, against Chicago with the crappy American broadcast. And uh, during the first five minutes, I felt like I was having a seizure trying to watch that. It was so painful. <laughs> it was um, bad. I don't know. Should I continue? or Should I not continue? Yeah, it was. Did you? I don't know if you got a chance to see it, but it was so choppy during the first five to ten minutes. And uh, you know, it wasn't any Canadian commentary. It was the most biased American commentary, which I had never tuned into before, so I didn't really know how bad it really was without Jim Houston making the call. Um, and they completely skipped the first few minutes of overtime. They completely skipped over the Burroughs penalty shot sequence. So it was pretty pretty rough to watch through. But um, I watched the, the other classics with the exception of kind of the newer games. I mean, some of them, they're pretty good. I know they had Colorado on last night, but... Yeah. You know, it's a bit of a grind to watch Eric Branson trying to clear the po- kind of zone for three hours, and you know, I don't really want to have to relive that. I'm kind of at the point where, okay, maybe it's okay to take a break from hockey a little bit, but you know, some of the classic games—it's been—it's been nice to revisit.
1: Yeah, I know I have a hard time watching old games. I just, you know, the outcomes, you know, the the main highlights of it already. Right, right. Uh, you've already seen it. It just kind of takes the the novelty factor out of it for me, and then. I mean, I watched the or attempted to watch the Chicago one with the the Dragon Slayer goal. But yeah, that was the worst feat I've ever seen um, for a game. And then at that point, you might as well not even play it. But exactly. Um,
2: the yeah. problem with PVRing it is then, you know, you just want to fast forward every 30 seconds. And so, yeah, it's pretty it's pretty hard task. But uh, I know at least they're they're opening the vault up a little bit and uh, mm-hmm. giving fans a little taste of hockey during these times.
1: It's nice that there's something to talk about, something to share, something to show. And I know that uh, for all of any Canuck or hockey or sports media, it's been really difficult uh, just because there's just nothing, right? You don't know. You don't know if it's off season. You don't know about deadlines. You can't even be like, here's a here's gearing up for the draft because when is the draft? We're here gearing up for free agency. We don't know when free agency is. No, no. nothing like anything we've ever experienced in this. I'm kind of in deep off-season mode, in my opinion. Like I'm just like it's August in my in my head. Right, right. There's no news. I'm used to no news. It's August, and uh, we'll hear just kind of the odd thing here and there, maybe a college free agent or something like that, but otherwise that's kind of the mode that I'm in it's like we're in the dog days of summer now but uh, it's
2: pretty pretty hard times when William Lockwood is the biggest news traction we've gotten in the past I want to say about a month but it's felt like a lot longer but um, yeah no you're you're absolutely right I mean we don't know what anything's gonna look like I mean um, it's gonna be pretty crazy with the UFA market um, depending on what the timeline is whether they have to sign and then join a new team in maybe two weeks so um yeah it's gonna be pretty crazy but once all this uh is finally over uh it's gonna be interesting to see how things play out it might get a little bit wild so uh, yeah i'm here for that for sure
1: do you think we'll see playoff hockey this year do you think the season um, will end
2: i'm an optimist but um yeah. it's looking more and more likely like they're gonna have to cancel the season obviously no i think um they're gonna have to follow along with what other leagues do, specifically the NBA, and with reports coming out that the NBA is probably leaning towards canceling the season. It wouldn't surprise me if the NHL cancels everything too, which it really would be a shame. But um um yeah, I'm I still I'm still holding out hope, but it's looking more and more likely. Like, you know, there's less hope every day.
1: Yeah. I know I've I've kind of gone into it thinking the season's Written off. It's over. But I would be pleasantly surprised if it went the other way. Oh, Um, sure. But just kind of expect the worst, hope for the best kind of situation out of it. That being said, you know the Canucks aren't in the worst position uh, coming into something like this because there's some questions now about the first-round pick that was in the J.T. Miller trade, uh, whether that ends up returning to them, and then next year's pick is the one that is used, or... Or is this the one coughed up? What does the draft lottery look like? What does right. anything look like at that point? And so, I mean, the Canucks could have been in a worse situation. They could have been, like, could you imagine if this was their contending year? Like, one of their big push oh. years? Like, like yeah, think the about the Tampa Bay Lightning real. or Boston Bruins right now. Like, they mm-hmm. <laughs> they would just be pulling their hair out right now. Well, St. Louis even. this
2: was, like, San Jose is still in their cup window and this is the year where it gets canceled and this is the year where they have to disband the last of the, of the core. I mean, that would be, that would be really rough. And uh, I mean, uh, there could have been a lot that was hanging on this season. I, I don't think that it's that case anymore. As you, as you say, like St. Louis, you know, if they don't win the cup last year and let's say last year was this year, if the season is canceled this year, maybe the St. Louis team is a totally different roster right now. So, you know, I've been, uh, I think that, this year, it's kind of, um, how do I say this? You know, maybe less uncertainties with certain rosters. But um, yeah, I mean, if this was a Canuck team in their contending window have been absolutely unreal.
1: Like, imagine if this, something like this happened with the 2012 roster for the Canucks, right? Win the President's Trophy. Everybody has high expectations coming into the playoffs, and the season's just over. We don't know. What happens from there well I mean, I mean knowing what happens i
2: mean knowing what happens would have been a relief better, that but, <laughs> <it> got canceled <laughs> but uh but yeah to your point but i but i bet in that
1: case like mike gillis still has a job uh they keep that core together for at least one more year mm-hmm. uh, and they try to make a run for it again but i mean after the la series i mean it all just we know how it ended from there but yeah, uh, kind of amazing that you can kinda you could play some different what if scenarios uh, with this right. one just because there are so many teams that are in situations very similar to that right now.
2: Right. And I think that, you know, it would have been nice for the for the Canucks to get into that playoff push and to really feel what playoff hockey is like. And they probably would have gotten their asses kicked in the first round, maybe if they're lucky in the second round. But I think that playoff experience would have definitely been something that you know, as a kind of a stepping stone for future seasons, but you can't go wrong with a top fifteen pick in this draft, right? So give or take, I don't think there's much to be upset about here. But um yeah, I mean, we haven't had playoff hockey in a long time, so uh it would have been nice for sure.
1: Well and I think that's the the major loss for, for Vancouver is is playoff hockey, that experience for that young core. Uh just having the opportunity to see what Elias Patterson can do in the in the playoffs, what JT Miller can do in the playoffs, Besser, Qu- Quinn Hughes, like see what those guys can do. Let Bo Horvat have playoff minutes again for the first time in since the beginning of his career. Uh, just to kind of see what they would be able to do. But Jacob Markstrom, like, you know, I could go on. There was right. a lot of great stories this season. A guy but, like,
2: you know, Antoine Roussel would have had a field yeah. in the playoffs. I mean, Bertan, that been awesome. And,
1: like, you know? But um, at the same time, if for any consolation prizes out there, I would happily take a top 15 pick. For that. sure. Uh, for this sure, draft yeah. is so deep. Um, there's quite a few guys right around the 15 spot that I'd be really in, excited to see uh, come into the fold. Um, but you never know what's going to happen here. And, and uh, kind of going into next season, the philosophy that uh, the Canucks might use going forward I mean we know that they're still progressively building, this doesn't really change a whole lot of anything for them uh, except for obviously the cap crunch stuff that's happening uh, mm-hmm. with Markstrom and Toffoli and Vertanen and Gaudet and Stetcher and Tanov and so many people that need to be signed right now and it's looking less and less likely that there's going to be any increase to the to the salary cap now Uh, It might even go down. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens. I know there's been some talk about compliance buyouts being gifted to teams to be able to, to do this. And I don't think there's another like there's many teams other than Vancouver that would be more excited about some compliance buyouts.
2: Absolutely. Oh, yeah.
1: I put it out earlier, like I want you to say a Twitter couple of weeks ago. You got trending
2: with that. I mean, uh, you broke I, the internet with with your whole uh, question. Myers
1: started trending, and I, sorry, Myers, but it felt um, like I, the good old
2: days. So uh, no, it thank did. you.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I'm I'm trying every day to kind of think of one more thing that might get people talking <laughs> about anything because it just it's too quiet right now. We need but, something. Myers was a heavily discussed option, and I do think, personally, that would be one of the better options to do. I know Benning wouldn't do it, but what is what is your pick out of that? Like, if you were given, say, one compliance buyout, who do you use it on?
2: It's a tough one. It's definitely a tough one, but you know, if you look at it from a long-term perspective. If you're trying to bring back Tanef, which I think they could reasonably be reasonably do if they have enough cap, you probably want to bring back Stetcher being arguably your best right shot defender. There's a there's a good argument there, but I I think that he's definitely up there for as the best right shot defender. And you've got to give Brogan Rafferty some chance at some point. So if you do use the buyout on Myers it might make the right side a little bit worse. I think he had a decent first year, in all honesty. But when you look at that contract, it's about, okay, how is he going to perform in year three, year four, and year five? And the chances are it's not going to be as pretty. It's going to be more on the ugly side of things. So from a long-term outlook, you might want to try and use that uh, that Bayoula Myers. I think you and I were talking about, you know, they might have some ability to get creative with a Louis deal, uh, maybe a Louis Erickson, some sort of a swap for... Ryan Kessler, where Anaheim would take on less salary, more of a cap hit. But, you know, that's uh, that's less payroll on their side because uh, after Louis' signing bonus this year, he's only due around $4 mil. I mean, next season, right? He's got a signing bonus of $3 million, And after that, he's only due $4 million over the next two years of his contract. So, you no, know, I think there's some room to get creative there. With Myers, it's definitely trickier. You've got a lot of term there six million for a, a right job defender who's getting into his thirties um, it's gonna be a little bit tricky to move that so that's what I would use the bio on. Sutter's coming up in one year, Ericsson's coming up in two years, so get off more term the better.
1: Yeah that's my thoughts exactly is how much how much can you clear longer term because there is a lot of bad contracts coming off the books in the next year or so, year or two. Uh, we got Beagle, Sutter, Ericsson Uh, all kind of in that camp edler's contract's going to be up not that that's bad but it's going to be up that's six mil uh you can kind of decide what to do from there or reduce his salary at least Uh, so there is quite a few big ticket items coming off the books at that point Mm -hmm. so it'll be interesting i know like the biggest longest term one and one where you're not necessarily getting the best bang for your buck is tyler myers and i know As much as I agree he didn't have a bad season per se like I don't think Myers is a bad player and that's that's the hard part about kind of arguing this side of things is that you're not trying to buy out a bad player you're trying to buy out a bad contract Mm -hmm. uh he's not worth six million and no absolutely not especially for that that term so the trick part is uh trying to like how could you better use that that six million well I Arguably, I think that you'd be able to find uh, some great replacement options at the $6 million price point or even a little bit uh, below that for um, right. that right side. So that would be that'd be the tricky part, too. Right. Like what happens with other teams, free agents? Does Petrangelo walk? Right. Like there's some other options there, too. And
2: with this signing, it's looking a little thinner for the Blues there. So that's going to be really interesting.
1: Well, and they made that Falk trade almost like a fallback, oh, right? Just oh, in case oh Petrangelo leaves. I couldn't imagine picking Falk and Scandella over Petrangelo. Well, I was shocked. I saw <laughs> the
2: trades. And then the extension, too. I mean, I'm a oh. I'm a Dominic Bach guy. I thought that, you know, he was a line made with with Patterson and Dolan uh, when they were kids. And, you know, I thought that if they had a chance to pick him at, I think it would have been 37 and... Uh, can't remember which draft it would have been, but um, they could have had a chance to pick him. He went late in the first in his draft year, so Canucks yeah. has never never got that chance. But, man, I really like him as a prospect. I was shocked when I saw that trade. And then the extension, too. Oh, my goodness. But, um, yeah, yeah. No, that was... Bach was, was one a I was hoping that
1: would slide. I, oh, I yeah. was really watching oh, yeah. that one and seeing if, if Canucks would be able to come up with the sweep and pull Bach out as well. But... Um but yeah, seeing him traded, I didn't expect that, but I thought it was a really savvy trade by uh, or draft pick by St. Louis. Um felt like the rich were getting richer with it. Uh yeah. and then uh now he's joined an immensely talented cupboard of prospects in Carolina. I I can't help but look at Carolina and just think this is exactly what I would want my my NHL team to look like. You know, it's it's great yeah. now, it's young, it's growing, you have immense picks and prospects at your disposal, you have an owner that's willing to make the big splashy moves and deals, and I think if you're a Carolina Hurricanes fan, you're just, you're giddy right now. Like well, if they get, if they get an so elite good.
2: goalie, then that's powerhouse right there. You know, they've got a really great number one defenseman, I don't know how much is term controlled, but a really great AEV in Dougie Hamilton yeah. who I think is one of the best he could have easily won the Norris had he not been injured you've got Jakob Slavin who again I think one of the best defenders in the league and uh, it's less and less disputed these days you know and they've got other defensemen in their system I didn't like the the Brady how do you even say his last name uh,
3: oh yeah Jay? Jay? Yeah, I, yeah. Jay, yeah, that was,
2: I, I thought that, that was a one. big overpay yeah. But um, they've still got, you know, a solid group of defensemen, great forwards. If they can find that goalie, that's a team to watch out for.
1: Well, and that's the thing, too. There's Braden Holtby. There's Robin Leonard. Like, this is a big free agent class for mm-hmm. goaltenders as well. So I thought uh, Leonard was going to
2: sign last year with Carolina. I, was, I did, too. I was shocked.
1: I really did. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I don't see him staying in Vegas and playing... Uh, like 1A, 1B with Flurry. I, I don't see that lasting long-term. He's going to go in for a big payday, and Vegas isn't going to do it. So I, I could see them trying to find more of a like a platoon kind of goaltender to, to mm-hmm. insulate, kind of like a Halak-tier goaltender. Mm-hmm. I uh, could see to, that, yeah. To tandem with Fleury. Um But I think Caroline is going to go in big on on somebody. Well, hopefully not our
2: guy, but... uh. Yeah, there are a few other fish there. I mean, there are not many teams who are in the goalie hunt specifically. There are some teams who, like, you know, like Vegas, or I would say maybe even Edmonton, looking for that, not necessarily a 1B, but a guy who can be a a pretty darn good backup to uh, to the starting goalie there. And then you've got your Carolina and then potentially, hate to say it, Vancouver, who might need a, a starting goaltender depending on how. Things shake out. I don't think Mark Shim's going to leave. No. But, um, yeah, hopefully Carolina doesn't uh, uh, get in touch with their agent and make some stupid offers. So uh, that's the last thing we want. But uh, yeah. I think I think a reasonable deal is going to get done there. Fingers well, and I crossed. think
1: the the salary cap going down or staying the same potentially actually works really well in Vancouver's favor. And this is yeah. kind of my hot take on this, is that as much as everybody's thought that it going up was good. I think it staying pat is even better because uh, with the contracts that are up, agents generally use percentage of cap for negotiations because caps is a fluid year-to-year thing. So it's, it's difficult to kind of gauge uh, comparables when uh, maybe your best comparable signed two years ago, right? And the cap mm-hmm. has increased twice since then. But now with it staying the same, your percentages are going to stay low. And then inevitably, I mean, we've got the big uh, network deal in the States, the broadcasting deal. We've got the expansion with Seattle. The cap is going to bounce back uh, significantly in the near future. But it's staying pat right now for a lot of free agents for the Canucks could be absolutely money going forward. And I think if they were able to get Jacob Markstrom, Tyler Toffoli, some of those guys locked in, at a reasonable rate, uh, moving forward, basing off of the percentage of the current cap, and then once it booms, there's going to be those are going to look like discount deals later mm-hmm. down the road. That's my for hope. sure.
2: I think Markstrom's going to look like an absolute steal when they get that contract done. The general market on goalies hasn't been very paying as of late. I mean, Robin Leonard, he gets nominated for the Vizina, only gets a one-year contract for five million. The Islanders didn't even want to sign them after that season. So, you know, it's not very high paying, especially, and especially, you know, as you say, with the cap staying flat. You just hope that uh, they can get the deal done, even with those big uh, money contracts to the Louis and the Myers standing in the way. But um, just, just going back to that, you know, that whole uh, talk that we're having about big cap uh, spendings over players that aren't necessarily. Uh, very usable, uh, to nicely say. But I don't know if you read the the big read that came out this morning by uh, by Elliot Friedman on the on the 2011 Canucks. Did you get a chance to, to read that over?
1: A little bit. I haven't finished it up yet, but uh, very excited that they're talking about that team because.
2: Well, what I found most interesting, and this is you know kind of the the lack of parallels between this regime of management and the past regime, you know. Um, how Mike Gillis was talking about he has to make room for the younger players on two-way contracts, and Mason Raymond and Yannick Hansen, and getting rid of older players' one-year contracts, even if it means eating up money in Utica. And he went forward to Francesco Laquiline and said, look, we've got to bring up these younger guys. This is about creating a winning team, creating a winning culture, and we can't do that if we don't bring in these younger guys in. And so, you know, I, I think that Going back to Tyler Myers' talk, you know, if they don't find space for Brogan Rafferty at some point, then it's essentially wasting a perfectly fine college free agent signing. So, you know, you've got to make that room at at some point. So, um, I think that further enunciates why the Tyler Myers uh, compliance Spile might be their their best bet there, since you know, you've you've got to find some room for these guys and Benning was talking at the deadline about we've got to find a way to uh, to bring in 10, I think it was 10 to 12, or I don't even remember the number, but we've got a certain set of, of prospects that we see joining the team the next three to five years. And I just hope they have a plan to bring these guys in because uh, there's been a certain track record of bringing in um, mid-30s UFAs for uh, a little bit of an overpriced deal, and there are still those players who are existing on the team today. So hopefully that isn't a trend that continues, especially with this younger team, a little bit deeper at the prospect pool now, and you've got to get these guys coming up. So uh, if they do really want to create that winning culture, it's going to come at the hands of getting rid of veteran players when the time is dry. I think that, you know, I do agree that um, they've helped create a better culture in that dressing room and a lot of the leaders and older guys in there they've helped out the younger guys but at some point you've got to let loose of the leash and so I hope they do that but uh, I'm highly doubtful obviously I, as you were saying they're not going to buy out Tyler Myers if that option even becomes available so um, yeah, are you going to get rid of Choice tetcher or are you getting rid of Chris Tanev what are you going to do so it's going to be interesting but um, hopefully it works out
1: well, and I think you said it really well. Like at some point, you're going to have to switch gears. Like you know, there's been a lot of these veteran leaders that have come in uh, and and trained up or taught, created this uh, this winning culture or whatever culture that you're trying to uh, to create that environment of professionalism for your young players. And at some point, you're going to need to change gears so that that group that you've been nurturing is that group going forward so that the young guys coming up are taught by them. And I would rather uh, my Niels Hoglanders and Vasily Podkolzins learn from Pedersen at this point than Sutter. Um, And so I would rather them have more of a leash to be creative and to be able to try things and work as hard as that guy does and and see that uh, rather than uh, see louis erickson leave practice really early going back to <laughs> the old pack uh coverage of that but uh you know i think going forward there has to be that kind of switch in gears and i think we're at that point now where we're watching the old platoon uh cast die off right we're, we're watching them uh age out their contracts are done they're no longer really uh useful in, in what we need them to be, for, especially for their cap hit. Uh, and there's better options in the wings ready to go. I mean, Brogan Rafferty, we've talked about. Uh, Jack Rathbone's going to need a spot. Maybe o- Ole Olevy's going to need a spot at some point. I'm still holding well, let's,
2: out hope. Well, let's not reach here, but, uh, but right? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right?
1: But at some point, you're going to have to let some of these younger guys up. And, I mean, how many times do we, have we seen... Uh, like some of these projects disappear, right? We've traded a second round pick for Lyndon Bay. We traded a p- second oh. round pick for Sven Berchi, right? Like those are all pieces that are no longer useful, right? Those are all pieces that have served their purpose at this point. And, and we need to move on to, to bigger and better things that, that will actually contribute to Canucks ultimately making the playoffs when the playoffs are a thing. And, uh, doing some damage once they get there but
2: yeah like you you nailed it I mean you've got to give some capacity for those younger guys on the team who you know they're not necessarily who you'd consider leaders right now especially in the locker room but over time once as you say the die I mean the old die off uh, you've got (laughs) to give um you've got to give them some capacity to to be those leaders to the precultions and the hoglanders and so that's what excites me most to see how those guys given that capacity can really exceed in our role. And I really think they can because you know there's a great group of guys on this team, undoubtedly. And um, I think the player profile that over the last few years has been targeted through trades and in, in Miller and into Foley, it's, really, um, it's really encouraging. The one thing I will say, you know, about all of almost all of the signings and trades that the Benning Acquisition has made, especially in recent time, is there's great player profile there good character guys, good team guys, good leaders. But, uh, you know, I I just think that you've also got to let those younger guys be leaders at some point. So hopefully that is part of the plan. Time will tell, and uh, it's definitely exciting for sure.
1: Yeah, it's, it's nice to finally talk, like, actual hockey you know even though oh, yeah. there's not any games really happening we don't know what's happening i'm uh, still, there is still watching continuing. curling
2: on my television but <laughs> yeah, yeah it's no it's so good to talk hockey
1: yeah so i'm happy that you're able to join us this week and uh i was just wanted to give you the opportunity here just in case you had anything that you wanted to plug or close off with here uh, give you that platform to do so
2: Sweet. Yeah, no, well, thanks for having me, first of all. Uh, had a blast on here. And uh, just uh, everyone listening, just continue to stay, stay safe, and uh, we'll get through this together. And uh, once we do that, we'll have a lot more Canucks hockey to talk about, which uh, excites me more than anything else. So uh, thanks for chatting, and uh, have a good rest of your day.
1: Thank you. You as well. All
2: right. Thanks, Sean.
0: Introducing our second period guest, the guitarist with The Matinee, Jeff Petrie.
1: Welcome everybody to the second period segment of the Area 51 Hockey Podcast we've got with us right now. Petrie of The Matinee, a band based out of Vancouver. Jeff, how's it going today? It's going great,
4: man. Thank you. Thank you so much for having uh, having me on.
1: Oh, it's been, I'm very excited to have you on. I know we were talking a little bit off air about, obviously there's not a lot of sports stuff happening right now, but uh, I'm hoping to spotlight more of the music scene in Vancouver or based around the Canucks community, uh, because there is quite a a large music scene in Vancouver especially, but also uh, that are just fans of the Canucks and and of Vancouver sports. so, uh, you guys are uh, one of those. A couple of you guys are, are big Canucks fans, and I know you've got uh, big connections in the Vancouver Canucks media scene as well. Uh, so I just wanted to kind of ask you about uh, your your fandom of the Canucks. Where did this come from? Is it just from being local in Vancouver?
4: Yeah, I mean, originally, you know, hard to grow up. I, I grew up, most of us grew up in Coquitlam, actually, the four original members uh, of us that are still in the band did, and Hard not to be a Canucks fan through those years, obviously, especially 94 was uh, pretty huge, um, but lifelong fans, um, you know, so that, that's our team, you yeah. know, definitely a homer in that sense. And, and yeah, really been, really been, especially since 2011, like, you know, that's when I got big into just following a ton more of the media, even though there were some um, pretty tough years yeah (laughs) uh yeah (laughs) i i I even became a bigger fan and just poured into you know started to get to know what's going on on the farm and and a bit more about the game and the ins and outs of the game but also media really evolved um did yeah about it there so that that really drew me in as well
1: well i know you were saying that you've you've built connections with like trevor martins and matt Sakaris and you uh there was a uh, IG live that you've done with Sakaris and Price so over the last few days. You've been doing lots of Instagram lives. Uh, the matinee has so uh, just kind of how did you get connected, kind of into the actual Vancouver media scene as as a band?
4: Well, I mean, <clears throat> eventually they started to take a little no- notice of of what we were doing musically. Um, but our big kind of break, I guess, locally was. Um, we got involved with a local radio station, uh, which was one, 100.5 then. It's now 102.7 The Peak, it's a Patterson company, and they um, they did this uh, thing called the Peak Performance Project. And so, for I think the first six or seven years of them being a station, they you know they'd take in 20 bands every year. You had to apply and put together a, a basically a marketing plan, like because the top prize was hundred thousand bucks, and um, you had to put together like a business plan. What would you do with this if you if you made it then you know, you had to put together like a video and, and all this other stuff. And we got in that year. Uh, I remember what year it was, honestly, but, um, we ended up coming third. So we ended up getting about oh. 50, 50, grand out of that. And more than that, like they, you know, they had a boot camp up outside of, um, Princeton, BC and, uh, we just tons of, you know, like media contacts, tons of, Really good coaching and stuff about um, about a, a career in music and, and how to really bring your live show up to to a big level and stuff. And that that was kind of our launch. Um, mm. And then you know obviously we <laughs> we would hound anybody. We're we're kind of shameless, I guess, in the sense like we'll we're we're always uh, trying to get get kind of that hookup. Like you know we we would um, uh, bug Tmart. And, and stuff just trying to get our music on on the shows and um he was producing Scares and price at the time and and yeah just it worked out uh they started playing our music and so I'd, I'd call in every now and then and i'd you know the first time i was called oh a friend of the show jeff from the matinee it was like a pretty proud moment for me right so
1: yeah oh yeah that's, that's very cool i know uh with social media now you almost have to be uh, that little bit shameless and if you're gonna push your stuff out and, and advance your advance whatever you're working on, whether it be music or or anything like like the podcast here, for example, you kinda have to be just that little bit more um, constantly aware of it and pushing it and, and trying to see where where you can go with it. That's that's really cool that you've uh, were able to push it into that way and then become a huge fixture in, in Canucks. Uh, kind of the media circle or the Canucks family. I know uh, you said too that with uh, the Botford Memorial that night that you were able to uh, perform there as well, which that would be a huge honor as well.
4: Yeah, that was huge. Um, You know, the Pravis was like, I honestly think like the new, I don't know how to say it, but the community as it is now really like that really took off and it started to, develop the way it is like Canucks Twitter. We all know it's it's insane, right? And even like Paul Bissonette when they, they dropped the uh <laughs> Bohorvat interview this week and like they're just talking like you people are rabid, you're nuts, right? Yeah. Um and um and so yeah that that whole Provis thing like it it was so different. It was such a different way to to sort of devour the content about um about Canucks and then Obviously, as soon as uh, he moved over to the athletic, then I, I got a subscription right away. And, and and that's been an awesome introduction to, like, you know, everyone else Thomas Drance, Harmon, all, all these amazing reporters. And, and I don't want to, you know, ignore the fact that there's some amazing folks that have been working for Sun Province, Post Media, everybody else, like, you know, and even those guys with, you know, degrees from Carleton University graduated, mm-hmm. come aloud, you know, like Zakaris and that, like, we just we've been big fans uh, of everybody in that media, because it's it's a cool community, you know.
1: It is, and I, I think we're very spoiled uh, in our market to have uh, the voices that we do, the people that cover our, our team, and and the exposure that we have, and I think a lot of that comes from just how ravenous and how rabid this fan base is, and I feel like Botch was able to Almost channel this this crazy and and focus it into one particular goal. Like it would be whether it was uh, Pedersen for Calder or whatever his new his new uh, campaign was. He would focus all the Canuck Nation. It felt like into this one end goal, and it was it was pretty remarkable to see. And it's it's cool to see uh, how so many people have been uh, picking up. Pieces of that torch to, uh, to carry that forward as well. Which, uh, pretty cool that you were able to to be there for for a night commemorating him. That's that's very yeah cool.
4: yeah. I mean it was, I mean he was building an army, right? Yeah, that's, that that was the the program. And like I, I got to say, that night actually. I'll get right into that. I got to I got to just correct myself. t Mart was a supporter of the show as well, but it was Ryan Henderson that actually broke us on the station, so I had to correct myself there because he's oh, been awesome as well. Um but that night at the Commodore like you know it was such terrible news and and interesting listening to the and, and I know I'm I'm focusing a lot on on the TSN radio side. I mean we're big fans. We listen to Sportsnet guys as well, obviously, but um um like it, The listening to the, the TSN, uh, 1040 top 40 that was out last week and, and hearing them talk again about, um, those kind of days where sports didn't matter. Uh, and it was about, you know, um, somebody passed away or whatever. And like just the reporting on that, that's, I think that draws you in even more because it's easy to be a casual fan when it's just talking about, uh, sports and that, but when it, when it digs into real life, uh, that way it's, um. It, it it reels me in for sure, and I think it does for a lot of people, and it creates that sense of community. And the show of community that night at uh, at the Commodore was one of those things that like it just shows you the power of of somebody like that who is innovative, who is um, you know, it's a cliche, but works totally outside the box. Yeah. And, and was building something special. And you're right, the people that have picked it up, there's too many to name, but like, you know, obviously Wyatt does a, an amazing job. And yeah. and yeah, just the whole community now. It's given, it, it gave everyone a voice, right? It it, it, it gave VIPs and everybody a voice. And it's, you know, I'm still out there trying to snap photos of, of jerseys every time I can when I'm at the game <laughs> or whatever, because I'm hoping to find something that'll make the, the athletes now or whatever it is. Like, it's
1: great. Oh yeah, I know it's it. Uh, it caught such a, a huge life of its own that uh, it's pretty special to see it live on in in any form now. And and just see, I know like J. has got new projects, like Wyatt's got new projects, and and Drance's Harmon. Like there's everybody's kind of picked up new new projects. I could I could go on and just list people all day. It feels like, but it's very it's very cool to be. Uh, part of of a canucks community like that and see the the overwhelming support for really anybody that's trying to do do something i know do like something you know yeah, just <laughs> just to get out there and and share your voice in whatever way uh whether that be writing whether it be podcasting just commenting and reading like w- listening whatever it may be just do something and be involved in it. i think it's a very cool thing that um it's been such kind of a rallying and uh And building community over the last, well, since 2011, kind of timeline there. So, totally. I know. uh, I've become like obsessed with your guys' stuff ever since. uh, Like finally coming across it, and uh, we had lots of engagements on Twitter before I I even listened to anything, and then I finally did, and and uh, it was to try to pick something for the podcast because we wanted to collaborate uh, and have a song on on every episode and. It felt like every song was like, yeah, I can make that work and I can make that work. But then you sent me Call of the Wild, and I, I remember just having both my headphones in and and listening. And it the the intro immediately I was hooked. Just having yeah. it kind of bounced from one side to the other. Uh, what what is behind Call of the Wild? Like, how did you guys? What was the process of of creating that?
4: So, Call of the Wild is from an EP we did. We we did like a. F- I mean, we have an old full length record that was the the first bit of the matinee, and I mean, a couple of those songs might make it into a live set once in a while, but uh, our our real debut record was uh, a full length, and that did pretty well. It got us kind of known across Canada and and that, and we got to tour Canada and the states a bit, um, and you know, we made some cool contacts and that, and so for this EP, we we um, we ended up chatting a lot with a guy named steve bays who you know hot hot heat um he's in a group called mounties now and he's he's a um, super cool dude him and, and another guy ryan doll who played in like limb lifter and and a bunch of other acts as well and like mm-hmm. these guys had uh, uh their own studios <clears throat> down uh in, in east vancouver and so um and with steve being like a label mate of ours we uh you know, we're like man why don't we work together um that that would be pretty fun because he's a prolific writer and and that and so is ryan and they're just they're wacky dudes like they they don't have a lot of constraints on the way that they approach writing music or recording music and like it it was it was wild for us to work with those guys like like just uh, the sounds on that were brand new i mean if if an Anybody shameless plug wants to listen to that broken arrows ep there's some it's it's pretty it's a bit of a departure from our first record for sure which was more in the roots rock uh, realm and then and then the broken arrows ep was a lot more indie rock kind of poppy stuff and and working with those guys like we would just sit there and and jam and we would uh, you know have some drinks and step outside for for a moment and come back in a little more inspired that kind of thing and um you know we we watched documentaries and stuff we were just in their studio for a few days and like we'd come back in and we'd just jam like just five in the morning kind of thing and then we'd come back in the next afternoon and listen and go well that's a little nugget of gold what can we do with that and then we'd expand off that and try to build that into a track and like i mean those guys they're they're tireless workers um and again like they're they're it's a different experience than working like we worked with a guy named steve berlin on the first record who he plays in los lobos and he's produced some pretty big records and stuff uh and uh, a couple tragically hip records so it was a pretty big get for us to work with him and for him like uh, apart from the the writing process and and stuff like sound is everything and like everything had to be crystal and perfect and you know we were working in the armory studios which is one of vancouver's best anyway and it's a great place to be but with those other guys we uh they're not afraid to make things a little lo-fi and a little fun and crunchy and, and whatever, you know, like let's capture the, the energy, the emotion, the feeling of it, as opposed to super polished and that. So yeah. Call of that's the Wild cool. was, I mean, a bit, a bit random, but it, everything on that was a bit random, but the way it came together was super fun.
0: Yeah. Well,
1: that's, that's really cool. I always love kind of hearing uh, the back, the backstories on, on songs and how they came to be because you never really know what the exact inspiration is going to be otherwise because sometimes i mean call of the wild like it kind of came out of the blue on on the broken arrows ep much like all of it for me anyways it it was just all like i loved every one of the songs but it didn't seem like i knew the backstory of it and I, i wanted to hear what what the inspiration was behind that being being hockey fans majority of you have you ever thought about putting out like a a song specifically tailored to uh, like the hockey experience, whether it be just kind of designed to go and play in an arena during a game or uh, be kind of hockey themed? Have you ever thought about doing anything like that?
4: It's funny, I mean, we talk about a lot of things and, and because the the four of us original members and we have another couple guys that I mean, they started out as hard guns for us, our bass player and keyboard player, but they're they're members of the band now they put in their time and they deserve that so um but we're we're all it's the core four of us that do the majority of the writing and like we're all such individuals within that even though we all we had high school together in Coquillum but um and we have a lot of similar influences like we it takes a lot for us to actually agree on stuff and (laughs) and come together on it and like you know there's some of those amazing sort of anthems out there I mean like the Stomp and Tom and the hockey song and that kind of thing like that's 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 amazing. And, like, it, it's tough to maybe try to stack up to something like that. Like, you know, you've got, like, uh, Marie Huey and, and her, uh, I'm just, I think it's Clay is the guy's name that, that yeah. works with her. And they put together all that stuff. And it's cool. It's topical and and that. But um, maybe not, not so much our style. Like, you know, I, we would try to write something more along, like, the Tom Cochran big league kind of thing or whatever. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, it's it's hard, man. You're so... Hard on yourself when you're writing lyrics, and I, I, I contribute some, but our singer, Manly uh, does write most of the lyrics. And, like, you know, you scrutinize your stuff, and you're like, man, does that sound cheesy? And, and, and whatever. And, like, there's a certain point at which you got to let art be art and just put it out there. And if it hits, great. If it doesn't, okay, great. At least you you put what you could into it. But, um, yeah, not, nothing sort of really focused on that, uh, so far. Although I got to say, we did. Um, I, I, I hit Sakaris up. For some contacts over in the Minnesota Wild and, uh, you know, really for about two, three weeks straight hounded them, uh, probably to the point where I, I made myself annoying and probably botched the whole thing, <laughs> but um, really was like, this is a song you guys need to jump on, it's going to be huge you know, like, it's yeah. perfect for the Minnesota Wild, but oh, no yeah. dice anyway no dice, so
1: No, that would have been a really good, good one for them uh, too bad they didn't pick that up, but mm-hmm. yeah, oh no that's awesome, man. So I know um, you've you got big news coming up uh, this weekend. Your your wife is due uh, mm-hmm. this well today, but today. Uh, no nothing yet uh, for with your first child. And uh, so I know you you were saying off air too that it's you know it's going to be a boy. Do you have any names or anything picked out for for? junior jeff <laughs> yeah we
4: do you know like we've got a, a short list of five that we both agree on uh, yeah. and then there's a couple fringe that like you know she's been loving and that i've warmed up to or whatever um and on her directive we've kept that pretty quiet you know there's nothing worse than oh we, we've decided we're going to name the kid you know this and and yeah. the first person you tell kind of Okay, it's an interesting name. Right. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> hey, that's my you know, name but, choice. <laughs> but we've decided we want to meet this guy first, you know. Obviously, see see what what he's like in the first few hours, and we figure it'll be pretty clear to us. Then, um, I'm still obeying uh, her directive and, and not sharing, even though this will probably air once he's once he's here. Um, yeah. But yeah, it, you know, middle names. will definitely do our best to uh, nod to the uh, the family names and stuff but there's there, you know there's no uh no elias or uh or trevor or anything <laughs> in the in the mix
1: at this point so that's fair for sure i know uh it's it's cool hearing name stories as well because i know uh like myself i don't i don't think from when my parents were naming me that they had a name picked out that i know of until after i was born and then and then my namesake comes from Sean Connery. Uh, oh, really? First, yeah, first Bond. My dad was a big Bond guy, so I ended up with that. Um, but then, like, my my sister had a totally different name picked out for her when she was born, and then they threw that away as soon as they met her and, and named her something totally different. So you just never know, I guess, until you meet them anyway. So, uh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Like
4: for the wife and I, our biggest criteria is that we got to be able to like have good nicknames that, you know, you're always like, shoot, I don't want to make it rhyme with, you know, jerk or whatever. Cause the, the schoolyard kids will be ruthless, but like, we want, <laughs> we want some cool nicknames. So I've been like, yeah. you know, trying to think, okay, what's the root name of that? Cause that, that I like and, and whatever. So we'll right. see. I think oh, we gotta, really cool. that'll, that'll fly.
1: Yeah. Oh, that sounds awesome, man. Well, congratulations. I know uh, by the time this airs, uh, he'll probably be born, and it'll be uh, nice to actually be able to to meet him for the first time. But yeah. uh, as of right now, we're still waiting, so that's that's yeah. really cool. But uh, thanks for for taking some time out this weekend and and talking to me a little bit about uh, about the matinee. Uh, we'll for anybody that hasn't already listened to any of the matinee stuff. Uh, Call of the Wild is the song that we play in between. Uh, or, to introduce the the shootout segment of our of the area fifty one hockey podcast here. So' been awesome being able to collaborate with you guys and and share some of your guys's music that I love. And uh, I just wanted to throw it over to you before we wrap up here. Is there anything that you wanted to kind of shamelessly plug or or wrap up and close with here?
4: Um sure. I mean, we got we got a couple new tunes that are just recently released, uh, one called Trouble is. Uh, and the other one called uh, "Ain't No One Like You," and um, you can find them on all our socials on on you know Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We are at the Matinee Music, um, and you, you know your, your listeners are pretty smart. They can figure out our website matinee dot uh, which can direct you everywhere uh, from there. But um, yeah, we're just we're just doing our best to connect with people right now without being able to play live or really get together uh, to write we're we're doing our best to write, you know, sending files back and forth, that kind of thing. And, um, and then the other thing we mentioned a little bit was the Q and A's that we've been doing with some, mm. uh, local media people. And, um, yeah, tonight is Dallas Smith. So it'll be too late for, for the people to have the heads up from the pod, but, you know, we've got some, some more great ones coming up and, and actually Matt interviewed Terry David Mulligan the other night. And it was so incredible to hear that guy's stories. He's been there for so much of of wow. the music uh, and, and even film stuff and TV stuff for forever. So anyway, just doing our best to connect and, and just want to say to all the listeners, like, man, we love, uh, Canucks, especially Twitter community. Cause that's where it's all, all really happening. And, um, we'd love to hear from everybody. If you like us, if you hate us, you know, it's all, it's all good. And, um, you know, keep supporting, um, area 51 pod. Cause, uh, we love what you guys are doing. What you're doing, I guess. Say, you guys, it's you. You're doing it all, man. <laughs> <Yeah>. And um, <laughs> you know, just just love love that more people are getting to know each other and collaborating, and and this community keeps growing because it's uh it's pretty cool. And you know, hopefully, we'll bring home that cup one of these years. We'll all be able to celebrate. Oh man,
1: oh, that's that's the dream right there. I can't What's wait this? for that. Yeah, one day, it's got to happen. So right on. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much for joining. And uh, for anybody listening. Uh, if you haven't already, I would absolutely recommend to go and listen to The Matinee. You can find them on any of the streaming sites or their website as well. Uh, they've got a very active social media as well. So uh, it's very easy to find The Matinee and, and find uh, any of the songs there. I know, uh, as Jeff mentioned, a couple of new ones there, Trouble Is, And uh, so there's a couple there that... Uh, great ones to listen to great tracks there and i'm hoping in the near future that the quarantine uh, pulls out some more some more gems from the matinee here so thanks again for joining us and uh look forward to talking to you again here soon
4: yeah pleasure is mine and uh, anytime hit me up
1: yeah it sounds good man have a great weekend you too thanks
0: i'd like to introduce myself hi there my name is Martian. I'm out of this world. Swirls. It's on my chest. Superman, like it's pearl Call me extra, extra, terrestrial. Extra, 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 terrestrial. Introducing our third and final guest from Canuck's Convo, commonly known as Comet's Corey. Corey Her God. Alright. Here we go on our third
1: period segment. We've got Corey Hergott with us, uh, Comets Corey from uh, the Canucks Convo. You can find them there uh, with a regular feature, the ride in the bus segment, as well as now on Patreon writing articles for them. Uh, most recently done an article, a QA and a with Robert Ash of the Utica Comets. Corey, how's it going today?
3: I'm doing well, Sean. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing great. You know, I I know obviously there's better circumstances uh, than right now, but um, there's lots of lots of stuff to dissect. Uh, we've been talking for quite a while now uh, off the air about the Utica Comets and, and the season that was and the season that will be. Um, there's a lot to look forward to for the Canucks, and there's a lot of big changes happening as well this coming season. There's a lot of uh, free agents coming up reed boucher uh different guys that have uh that are decisions that are going to be have to be made this summer uh for for the utica Comets, what would you say like your overall thoughts of this past season that's lost now what are some of your your bigger scale thoughts on on how their season went
3: well i think um first off we saw mikey di pietro um basically wrestle the starting job away from Zane McIntyre uh, and he ran with it and I mean McIntyre was brought in to be the number 3 for Vancouver uh I think they didn't have a lot of faith in in Richard Bachman after you know he he finished last year early with a a, a bad Achilles injury tore his Achilles tendon and uh you know he had a long long layoff because of that so I'm not sure that they were 100% comfortable with him coming into the year as being a guy that they could count on so McIntyre was brought in and he was brought in at a pretty hefty pay rate I mean I think they were paying him somewhere around 250k at the American League level so uh you know he was getting paid a good amount of money to be the man down there and uh you know it didn't really take long for Di Pietro to to uh make his mark uh McIntyre got called up. I think it was oh, early November, maybe somewhere mid November. Somewhere
1: around there, yeah. He got
3: called up for um, a couple of games there, and that kind of forced Trent Cole into playing Mikey DiPietro for three straight games. And uh, he went in on the Wednesday, uh, came in on Friday and the Saturday. And I want to say he went two and one. I I'm not a hundred percent sure. I think he went two and one on those in those three games. And he played absolutely phenomenal. And, uh, you know, Trent call already had some trust in him at that point. I mean, he had, they'd won every game in October. The, the comments were on fire. Uh, so Di Pietro just kind of, I don't know if he forced his hand, but he kind of forced his hand into saying, you know, I'm your guy going forward. I'm telling you, I'm your guy. So you're going to have to make me your guy. And, and in my conversations with Trent call this year, I've had a couple of them. And, uh, he had nothing but good things to say about Mikey DiPietro. Uh, when I spoke with Robert Ash last week, that was the one big takeaway. Uh, once we stopped talking about, uh, you know, why the Comets were were in in Utica and how that all came about, we just spent a little bit of time as two old goaltenders talking hockey. And uh, of course, goaltenders are going to come up when two old goaltenders are talking hockey. And of course. I, I asked. Um, I asked Ash kind of. Who, who really stands out to him down there? And he said, you know, in all my years in hockey, and I mean, he's been in hockey a long time. Oh yeah. He said, I don't think I've ever seen anybody work as hard as Mike DiPietro works. That's uh, because he like right before that part of the conversation, we were talking goaltenders and he talked about how Jacob Markstrom came down to Utica after clearing waivers uh, you know, that was a bit of a blow for him to, ha- you know, no team in the league took him. They could have. Uh, yeah. Utica and he worked and worked and worked. And Esh made a point of saying how hard he worked. And, you know, he obviously put the Comets on his back and went on that that uh, Calder Cup run. They didn't win, but, uh, you know, they had a great run. And Markstrom was a huge part of that. And, and a lot of that had to do with the amount of work and the dedication that he put in. And then, you know, Thatcher Demko comes in the next year, and he's a workhorse, plays like 45 games. I think it was 45 or 46 games he played in his first season. And he had to take over for freaking Jacob Markstrom, who was right. unbelievable the <laughs> season before. And he put in the work. And, and Esh, you know, again, made the point to say, Thatcher spent time in Utica. Like, he was down in the AHL for a couple of years, and, and he... Did everything that he was asked to do, and he worked really hard. And then now we've got Mikey Di Pietro comes in and kicks the door down and says, "I'm your man. You know, I'm your guy. You better, uh, you better, you know, get with the program here." And 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 they did. And and uh, he's the, you know, as Ash says, he's like the hardest working guy he's ever seen in the sport. And and I think that says a lot.
1: Oh, well, that's that's huge. I know, like Ash spent uh lots of time uh, in the NHL himself as a as a goaltender and then now like he's been around the game forever, decades. And so to to be saying that about D that's huge praise. So that's that's really exciting for Canucks fans to hear.
3: I think so. I, I mean I think it's a it's a it's a nice thing to take away from this season that, you know, we've got fantastic goaltending right now in Vancouver and hopefully they'll be able to keep Marks and Demko going forward and then they've got a guy like like di pietro coming up behind him. but you know you look at uh some of the other things that went well this year in utica uh, Cole Lind, you know his his rookie campaign he had his injury troubles he had his troubles uh, adjusting to the pro level it's a big uh, leap that's all been uh been well documented um but he came out this year and he had a great season and uh i, I think a big part of that is he took to heart what was said to him in his exit meeting last year. You know, they told him he needed to build his confidence and he needed to skate better and he needed to get to pucks more quickly and he just needed to, you know, become a lot more confident in his game. And, you know, he worked on his skating. Uh, I think it was three days a week he was telling me he was doing power skating uh, last offseason. Um, worked really hard on his strength and on his conditioning and he came in this year and, and uh, again, he kind of kicked the door down. He was moved kind of around the lineup. He played the left side, played the right side. We even saw him play a handful of games as a center. And, you know, I think that was huge for him to be able to do that and do yeah. it. Um, I'm not suggesting that Cole Lind is going to be a center at the NHL level, but he's a guy that, uh, you know, he was on the first unit power play pretty much all season. after Zach McEwen kind of went up and stayed up, um, Cole Lind became the guy that was taking all the face-offs on that first power play unit uh and as a winger and as you know I think he's the youngest forward on the team that that's a feather in his cap you know he's out there being a distributor for a guy like Reed Boucher who's a, an absolute menace on the power play right so um you know Colin had a really good year this year i think we saw um you know he couldn't stay healthy and his skating is still going to need uh, a fair bit of work but we saw Jonah Gadjevich uh, take some nice steps um <laughs> My opinion on Jonah is he's just got to get to the front of the net and stay there and good things happen. I mean, if he's got the
1: frame for it,
3: I think he scored 13 goals this year. If I'm right, I think it was 13. And I bet you 11 of those goals came within an inch or two of the blue paint if he wasn't actually in the blue paint. And uh, I know one of the other goals was an absolute laser beam that uh, he he took a a one-timer feed just outside the uh, right face-off circle that absolutely hammered one home so he's got a good shot he's got fantastic hands in tight in around the net Um, I think the biggest thing for him is just going to be you know being consistently healthy that's been an issue he plays a pretty abrasive game um he doesn't shy away from taking on guys that are like the size of a 56 Buick so <laughs> he's gonna be banged up a little bit here and there so um you know that kind of that's a good part of his game but it's also the part of his game that's going to maybe be a detriment to his his career overall um but when he's in he's been a good player and and uh you know his skating's going to still need more work he's not as as fleet of foot as he needs to be but it did improve from his first year so You know, we've saw, we seen Zach McEwen. Everybody said he couldn't skate. He's never going to be an NHL player. Well, sorry, he skates just fine, and he's an NHL player. So Jonah could still get there. Um, You know, it's just a matter of him figuring it out. And if he can't figure out maybe how to improve his skating, maybe he needs to figure out a way to get from point A to point B in just a more efficient way. Uh, That's maybe just taking a different route or something else. But, uh, you know, in tight around the net, that guy has some really really good hands um so there's that there's that little shining light for him
1: i was at, i was just about to make the the comparison to to zach mcewen early on uh with that as soon as hearing you talk about big frame not afraid to or doesn't shy away from any physicality uh and but it's just his skating and i remember that being the huge knock for Zach McHugh and everybody was talking about his skating, like he's got everything, but his skating isn't there. And and now like we've seen huge strides in his skating, becoming way more efficient of a skater uh, and able to make the leap to the NHL. And so that does uh, bring a lot of hope that um, we've seen players do it. We've seen players come out of that program able to, to make huge leaps with their skating. Uh, even Bo Horvat is another example where his skating wasn't uh, his strong suit early on, and now he just flies. So uh, there is some some optimism there for for Jonah Gadjovich as well.
3: Yeah, I like think so. I think so, and I and I think maybe you know the fact that he was a second round pick, and this is a this is something that I think is a bit of an issue. And uh, with uh, with all of us as Vancouver Canucks fans, we tend to put um, you know hold our our prospects up maybe a little higher than than maybe they should be. I think um, most teams probably have a Jonah Gajevich in their system. Most teams, you know, have a, you know, an Ashton Sautner in their system and those kinds of guys. Right. But it doesn't mean that we can't, uh, you know, still have some excitement about these players. And it doesn't mean mm-hmm. that players still can't be, uh, you know, contributors if, and when they get to the NHL level, they, not every player is going to be Elias Pettersson and, and step into the NHL right away and, and dominate. They won't all be Brock Besser. They won't all be Quinn Hughes. They won't even all be Bo Horvat who has to work his way up from the fourth line and just, you know, each year just get a little bit better. Right. Yeah. Uh, some players are going to take a longer time to get there. And, and, uh, when they do get there, they'll, they'll be contributing. You know, you still need to have your Yannick Hansen's and your Manny Malholtras and your Rafi Torres guys on, on your team. And, and, uh, you know, not all those guys just step in out of their their junior college or or overseas ranks and and dominate the league. You know, some of those guys take a long time to get there.
1: Well, and I think that's where the danger of of making player comparisons right out of their draft year or early on in their even in their junior career, um, where it's like, okay, well, he plays similar to uh, Taubertuzzi, and and everybody kind of gets that that expectation almost that. You know, we're looking at a, for example, Bertuzzi caliber player, but there's not, that's not the case. Like very seldom do players actually end up reaching whatever their draft comparable is. And it's just a matter of looking at stylistically that they play a similar game, but just to not uh, go so far with uh, the kind of the level that we expect them to, to be playing at, like is is somebody like Zach McEwan going to be Bertuzzi? Well, no, but he plays a very physical role and it's a role that is needed on this team moving forward and he, I mean he showed down the stretch that there's uh I mean he makes a huge difference in that line. It's the buzz that he he brought to that third line was was incredible.
3: Well, and you if you look at like a player like Zach McEwen in in, in particular, like a spe- specifically to him He's 24 years old. Uh, he's a late bloomer. He was undrafted. He's he's. I know it's going to sound weird. I call him the big fella. He wasn't always <laughs> that big. He's still growing into his body. I mean, he he went from like something like five eight to six four in a span of a year, right? Wow. Like, so his the, the fact that he had a, a hard time skating, I think, had a lot to do with the fact that he was told he was too small. He was never going to be an NHL player. Now he's six four right? So his body really <laughs> changed in a short amount of time and it took him some time to figure out those new biomechanics, the way his body works. He had to learn how to skate differently. He had to learn that, well, I'm six foot four, I'm not five eight. I can't duck in, in underneath this guy to get by him anymore. I guess I'm going to have to go through him. So he learned yeah. how to go through guys. Um, so you look at a guy like him, he's 24, Sure, you can you can say, oh, 24 years old, he probably is what he is. Uh, I hear that so many times from people like, oh, Brogan Rafferty, big deal. He put up all those numbers. He's 24. He should be putting up those numbers. Fine, great. But when he gets to the NHL level, he's probably not going to be putting up those kind of numbers. He's going to be in a different sort of a role, in a different position. There's going to be other players higher up the depth chart ahead of him. But that, that, that's going to allow him to... to Grow into his role.
0: Yeah. You know,
3: look, Zach McEwen doesn't need to come in and be Elias Pettersson's winger or Bo Horvat's winger. They've got guys there for that. You know, uh, he could grow into that. I, I would totally. Never, I would never sell him short and say, you know, Zach McEwen can't be a, a first or second line player at the NHL level. I think people said that about him at the AHL level, and they're looking dumb now.
1: Yeah, so exactly.
3: I I'm not going to be the guy having Zach McEwen making me look dumb by saying <laughs> that, right? So uh you know he he he's, he doesn't need to be that guy. He doesn't need to come in and and be the the first line winger or the second line winger. He can come in and he can grow into his role and he can, you know, the coach can mold him the way Trent Cole molded him down in Utica, you know. Yeah. Travis Green knows what he wants out of Zach McEwen. Travis yeah. Green probably has a really good idea of what he's going to get out of Zach McEwen next season and he's going to help Zach McEwen become the player that Zach McEwen can be. I I don't have any doubt there.
1: Oh, absolutely. Well, and that's the nice thing too with having a competitive team. Um, again, finally, is is that you are able to allow players to grow into their role without just kind of forcing them into those roles right away. It allows them to have that time and space to uh, to develop different parts of their d- game to that will help them when they do reach those those higher levels, their peaks. Um, like I think about early on in, in the last five years, when when the Canucks lineups were really thin, uh, and how good of a job the Canucks did with Bo Horvat to be able to limit him and let him slowly increase instead of just thrusting him into the in the top six because he was he was good enough to be there. Like ultimately, he was better than most of the guys ahead of him but he wasn't ready for that big of a role yet. And I think that's one of the biggest perks of having uh, the depth that the Canucks do right now is that you're, you're able to make decisions on guys spots based off what you want them to be eventually um, without having to put them there right away.
3: Yeah, exactly. And, and uh, you know, if you look at how the Canucks have kind of changed up a little bit of, of how they do things, I mean, there, there wasn't a lot of depth in the system um, when when this management group took over uh, that we've all talked about that a million times. Uh, we saw players like michael shapoo and and jack skilly and and Jason Magna got guys, guys <laughs> like that. And I mean, I, I, those guys are all great, great players at the American League level. They're all great human beings and, and all yeah. of that. I never want to uh, speak poorly about a, a a you know a person away from the rink and that kind of a thing, right? But at the NHL level, those guys, they they didn't have the chops to be counted on. They were guys that were, you know, bring them in and use them on the the fourth line as a stopgap while your injured player recovers, not, hey, let's put Michael Chaput as a first-line center or a first-line winger or or whatever. Now we're seeing guys like, uh, you know, this year we saw Zach McEwen get called up when they had Sven Berchi making $3 million-plus. They had Nikolai Goldobin, who was a highly, highly skilled player. They could have called Nikolai Goldobin up. They probably would have got a few more goals uh, and assists, a few more points out of Goldobin and what he could contribute. But I think the way this team is evolving, they, they they didn't see Goldobin as a player that this coaching staff is going to trust. So rather than just keep shoving him out there or keeping him up at the NHL level and, and having him stapled to the press box or stapled to the bench, they bring up a guy like Zach McEwen and let him at least be around the team. He didn't get a ton of games this year. He spent a lot of time in the press box at the NHL level, but I am, I haven't had the chance yet to speak with Zach on that. I'd like to, um, but I, I believe that that's kind of gives him a bit of a, a bit of a, a, behind-the-curtain look at what he needs to be an NHL player. He's around those guys every day. He's seeing them in practice. He's practicing with them. Uh, He's seeing how they conduct themselves off the ice uh, and away from the rink, how they're looking after their nutrition and their bodies and all that sort of a thing. And I think that that's a big part of the way this team is trying to develop players. They're identifying players that they think they can win with. Uh, We've heard Travis say it a million times. He wants players he can win with. They brought in a guy like like and they brought in a guy like Jonathan Dolan thinking, hey, these are highly skilled players. We can maybe win with these guys. Uh, when it was determined that maybe they can't win with these guys, they're giving other guys the opportunity now instead of just regurgitating the same old thing. And I think that's I think that's a step forward for the for the organization as a whole.
1: Well, it shows a willingness to to make that decision, that's a difficult call to make, especially when those are the guys that you bring in. Like, uh, speaking Goldobin, for example, right? Goldobin was his big acquisition for Hansen, and he was kind of part of this new core, supposedly, right? And and it didn't really work it as much as they wanted to, and they gave him a really good fair shake, in my opinion. O- over 100 games. Uh, he did well in in different aspects of the game but there was there's different parts that Travis green clearly didn't trust so if he wants guys that he's going to trust in particular roles he obviously didn't see the role uh, for goldobin sticking around and and they've made the decision to kind of walk away from from him at now at that time at this time it is going to be interesting I know I kind of want to get some quick thoughts from you on some of the changes that went we will be seeing. I know that Goldobin's gone. There's lots of talk that Berchi uh, will likely find a new home uh, somehow this summer uh, through uh, whatever trade channels to get that done. Uh, Reed Boucher and Justin Bailey have to get new contracts. Uh, Zach McEwen has made the leap uh, to the NHL now. Uh, Brogan Rafferty looks like he could make the leap as well. Um, and there's a lot to be said for Oli Olevi, I know a lot of people uh, feel like they've already given up on him. But you and I were talking, and, and neither one of us has has thrown in the towel on Oli Olevi at all. Like I think, uh, I think very highly of of Oli, and I think that he will, with enough time to rehabilitate from his injuries, make a full recovery and be uh, very much the player that we we hoped he would be. Uh, some of those changes, how do you think that they would affect? Uh, like the Cole Lins and the Jonah Gajeviches in their in their development.
3: Well, see here it's here's uh, here's some really good timing on your part for having this interview today because uh, the article that I've been working on today before our conversation uh, for Canucks Convo is about some of those changes that we're going to see next year. Uh, this is a piece that i i kind of start my around the trade deadline every year i start putting together an off-season writing schedule i put together a list of topics that i want to touch on when the season's over so that i'm you know ready to go when the season's over and i I can can still bring some content well this is a piece that i one of the first ones that i wrote down because there's there's the potential to be some big changes this year and, and uh you know, in the last week or so, we've, we've heard that Nikolai Goldobin is uh, planning to head back to the KHL for a couple of years. Uh, so, we know that he's not coming back. So, we kind of pushed this, this article idea to the forefront. So, this is pretty fresh in my mind right now. I just got to plug my phone in here. It's telling me I got a low battery. <laughs>
0: oh, yeah, no worries.
3: <laughs> so, um, looking at players like that, we know that Goldobin isn't going to be back. So then we've got uh, a guy like Reed Boucher, who's been, I mean, the offense has gone through Reed Boucher for the last three years since I've been covering the team. He's been, uh, as Reed Boucher goes, so go the Comets. So, um, you know, here's a guy who loves Utica. He's mm-hmm. said it time and again. He loves playing there, uh, he wants to win there. Um, he gets paid well. He gets compensated well. I think he was getting paid somewhere around 450 k at the, at the American League level last year. That made him one of the highest paid uh, players on a two-way deal at the American League level. So, um, you know, he's, he's being compensated fairly well. But you kind of have to wonder if, if he accepts his qualifying offer. Um, does he think there's a team in the NHL that will give him a chance? Or will he sign a deal with another team and just end up on someone else's farm team and and not be in Utica where he knows he likes it, right? Right. So, or maybe he goes overseas. I kind of thought he might head overseas after last off season because he didn't have a ton of opportunity with the big club, and I mean this year he got nothing. So um, yeah. I kind of wonder if he will stick around. Uh, I think the um, I think Reed, Reed Boucher, the uh, the human being. Would probably love to to be back in Utica and and play there and continue like he's dominated their record books in the last couple of years. He's he's just making his mark uh, every way that he can there. And in fairness to you know the Canucks maybe haven't um, you know treated Boucher all that fairly in terms of opportunity. But at the same time, the Utica Comets coaching staff has really, really helped him improve and evolve his game. Uh, He's a first over-the-boards penalty killer for them. Um, Like Reed Boucher's a good hockey player. Uh, Skating is his issue. That's the that's the pace at the NHL level is where he kind of that's where he kind of loses it a little bit. Um, He can't maybe create the same kind of time and space at the, at the NHL level that he can in the American league. Um, But I mean, he, he's a small guy. He's like 5'9, 180, somewhere around there. He has no problem going after big guys in the corners. Um, He gets physical. He gets um, every once in a while, you'll see him kind of get pissed off and uh, you know, he's going to have a game. Sometimes you'll see Boucher come out in the, you know, his first couple of shifts he will give somebody an elbow in the chops in the corner and then rip a one-timer from, from the face-off circle. And it's like, yeah, Boucher's going to get three, three, three or four points tonight. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, he's a guy that I have all all kinds of time for. I want to see him back in Utica. I, I really hope he, he's back there because I do think that, uh, you know, he helps these other younger guys um, improve their games, even though he doesn't often get lined up with a lot of the young guys uh boucher in the last two years i mean he's been their their first line winger and his centers have been like tanner Caro, um michael chapu carter camper so he's not getting he gets lucas yashik a little bit you know yeah. he got him a little bit but for the most part he was getting you know their their very best centerman to play with them and it was a veteran and on the other wing, you know, it's been a Goldobin or a Berchie or a Just, uh, Justin Bailey or a, a Darren Archibald or a Tom Pyatt. Like, he's had some veterans on that side as well. They've worked the kids in there. Cole Lind has had the odd shift with, with Boucher. Um, Lucas Yosik spent quite a bit of time with him, either as a center or as a, as a winger in the last couple of years. Uh, but Boucher's pretty much... Um, you know, he's had the veterans with him, but the you listen to the young guys when they talk about watching that guy play and seeing his practice habits and like that, the way that guy works on his sticks <laughs> and that kind of, yeah. you know, that's the kind of thing that um, I think is good for these young guys to be around. You've got a guy who very clearly is a dominant player at the American Hockey League level, a guy who very clearly has not had a ton of opportunity at the NHL level. I think in the three years I've been covering Reed Boucher playing hockey, I think I can say I've seen him take a shift off exactly twice. Yeah. So, hey. I mean that's a guy that he's he's given it. So that's a good example for those young guys to be around, you know. Like if uh part of my thing that I'm working on today is looking like they've they've got thirteen players on American Hockey League deals in Utica this year. Wow at twelve the year before and seven or eight the year before that. So the number of American League contracts is not going to go down. I think it'll, it'll stay around that 13. It might even go up by a couple. Um, but there just might be a few different players worked into the mix. Uh, Carter Banks and Wasey Hamilton have been their veteran leaders for a number of years. Uh, they're, the people in Utica kind of refer to them as the Twins, kind of like uh right. and Henrik. But they're not, they're not the, tw- the Twins as in the offensive style. They're just very similar players. They they actually, like, they look, they their faces don't look alike. But if you couldn't, you can't tell them apart on the ice otherwise, right, if you don't look at their numbers. They play a very similar style of hockey. Hmm. Um, so maybe those are two guys that they, like, I'm writing in my piece, maybe this is the year that they need to go the one or the other approach rather than bringing them both back. Hmm. Uh, Wasey Hamilton's been there you know their best centerman from a defensive standpoint which has been great for some of the young guys to learn from um but he he's their best penalty killer but he's also one of their biggest penalty takers and, and <laughs> bad penalties you know uh slashes on guys that are nowhere near the play and and things like that so um and he's had some really tough injury luck he's i think he's played 51 games over the last two years total so Maybe it's time for him to take a rest or move him into a player development role or a coaching role in Utica somehow. Um, But they need to make some decisions on a couple of guys like that. Francis Perron is another guy. They got him on the cheap last year. They swapped seventh-round picks, I think, with San Jose to get him. Uh, Perron had some injury troubles this year. He he lost vision in his eye for a good stretch there, and he still doesn't have it back 100% from a stick that he took. Uh, but that's a guy that I would have time to see back for another look. Um, I'm not mm-hmm. sure. I, I'm not sure that he's gonna be back. Um, I, I kind of have a bit of a feeling like he'd like to maybe be closer to home, back in in La, the Laval or or Belleville area somewhere right. in that. Yeah, I think that's kind of where he'd like to be. Um, but that's a guy that you know, there's there could be some contracts heading out the door, and that's going to open up opportunities maybe for a couple of new guys to come in. We know the team signed uh, Mark Michaelis um, out of college. He sounds like he's going to be a pretty uh, pretty solid player. and can play the middle and play the wing. Uh, if he can play the middle, that's where they need him in Utica. Because yeah. <laughs> uh, I think right now, uh, he's their only only actual centerman under contract for next year. Uh, Lucas Yashik has another year left on his deal. He played center probably 85-90% of his games this year in my opinion lucas is better utilized as a winger his game is so much stronger along the wall i think playing the middle helped his defensive awareness i think that'll help him when he gets to the nhl level i see him as kind of like a, a marcus like how travis green used marcus grandland a little bit right. of a guy uh, you know I, I was kind of calling him a bit of a swiss army knife sort of a thing right he was you know played both wings played the middle played the penalty kill played the power play um wasn't super spectacular at any of those things, but he could kind of get it done uh, at, at Just least serviceable, least. yeah, yeah, oh, so, you know there's some promising things coming from him as well um but the back end is where I see some some real interesting things going on um you know, does Brogan Rafferty graduate after that big season? Is Olio levy gonna be healthy enough to? earn a job out of camp maybe he's after the summer he's have finally had a full summer of being healthy and being able to train his body properly maybe he's not all season in Utica next year maybe he's ready to knock on the door um Ashton Sautner is an unrestricted free agent he's been a workhorse for that team uh, as far as defenders go he's been their best defender um he's plays a physical game uh he gets downright nasty with his stick at times and and tends to get away with it somehow yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you've got him and and or you've got yule levy you've potentially got Sautner if they bring him back josh tevis has a one-way deal same as rafferty for for this upcoming season uh he only got into 20 something games with the comets and he spent time in kalamazoo um i mm-hmm. saw some really good things from tevis this year but i think we need to see more from him, uh, like more games. He needs more reps at the, at the American league level. Uh, he was certainly not afraid to, uh, jump up into offensive opportunities, although we didn't see a a pile of points from him. Uh, but I don't know how many times I saw him make like smart pinches. He wasn't pinching and getting burned. Uh, but he sometimes maybe didn't have quite the offensive instincts once he got in there. And and maybe that's something that he needs to work on a little bit more, but, uh, You know, Mitch Elliott is another guy. Uh, He's a righty. Actually, let's stick to the left side for a second here. So we've got Yul Levy. We've got Tevez, potentially Ashton Sautner. And then we've got Guillaume Brisebois, who is a restricted free agent. So the the Canucks have to decide, are they bringing him back? Um, And where do they see him fitting in? I love Brisebois. I think think that he's got a game that can put him comfortably as a, a team's you know, sixth or seventh defenseman, he's maybe not going to be the guy that comes in and, and lights the world afire fire or anything like that. But I think he's a guy that can be a steady, reliable uh, defensive defenseman who can, he's not going to pile up points, but I think he, he's a guy that can kill penalties at the NHL level and be a, a serviceable fill-in guy like a Fantenberg or a, or a Jordy Ben type of a guy. And he'll be able to do it on a fairly reasonable salary when he gets there. So yeah. look at that left side. There's four names right there. They can't all be playing every shift, right? They can't all be playing every night. And the right side, Jalen uh a, he's a restricted free agent. Uh, I know the team thinks highly of him. I know that they wanted to give him opportunities at the NHL level. He got called up a couple of times last year, but or this year, but didn't get a, any games in. Um, again, as far as defenders go he's one of their better defenders um he often gets paired with a green defenseman so a green partner so we see you know we do see some goals going in when he's on the ice but it's not always kind of his problem or his issue that's causing that he's a, a penalty killing machine blocks a ton of shots skates like really really well jumps hmm. up into the play but his offensive instincts die off when he gets there um He's just he's just not a point producer at the pro level, or he hasn't been yet. Uh, so, you've got him as a returning guy, potentially. Jet Wu has a contract. So, you know, you've maybe got Rafferty. You've maybe got Chatfield. You're going to have Jet Wu. Yeah,
1: um, Rathbone.
3: Rich, Rich Elliott got into 20-some-odd games, and I liked a lot of what I saw when he was in. He's He's got work to do on his game defensively, but, uh, man, he was greasy physical at times like he takes uh enjoyment out of rubbing guys out along the boards you can see it like he loves the, <laughs> he's not blowing guys up but he likes to just he he's good at just taking guys off the puck um and man he's got some offensive instincts you know he's a guy that he gets his shots through they're not always big bombs they're not always big clappers but he gets shots through and that's going to lead to offensive opportunities uh, I think he had uh, five points this year in his 20 some odd games. Two of his goals came on the power play or both of his goals came on the power play. Um, you know, so you've got a right side there. That's got, you know, Rafferty, Wu, uh, Chatfield and Elliott. And, you know, Jack Rathbone is a lefty. He might turn pro. Tony yeah. Gooden is a lefty. It's a possibility he could turn like head o- head over here. You know, so there's there's there could be some changes on that back end. And it was a pretty green back end this year. I mean, Rafferty was 24, sure, but that was his first year as a pro. Their yeah. oldest defensemen were Ashton Sautner and Dylan Bluegis, and they were both 26, you know. So, they, they've they got a pretty green group back there, and that showed on the defensive side of things. They, they gave up a lot of shots. Uh, you know, the, the Comets goaltenders were busy on most nights, but that group also provided a pretty decent amount of offense as well. So uh, I think this next season is going to be a fun one to see how some of these guys dial in their games.
1: Well, and I think that's where a lot of the, uh, the excitement and the buzz in Vancouver comes from is from the blue line in Utica. Cause we could see that there's several players that are kind of knocking on the door and we're, we're starting to see them really develop and, and blossom into uh, the players that uh, we hope that they would become. And, I mean, Rafferty was kind of a big surprise for a lot of people because we didn't really anticipate him setting the AHL on fire in his first season down there, but uh, pleasant surprise there. <laughs> uh, and then with Yolevi, I think next year he's he's a breakout opportunity. Like that's a breakout opportunity for Ole Levy to really uh, showcase what he has. Uh, so it's going to be exciting to see. Ah, uh, what comes out of Utica, and it's nice to see that uh, they've trended younger and younger, and they've really de- done well to develop uh, the team that they have. What a, what a huge difference, you know, in storyline a year makes. I know, like, what? Oh, not this past season, but the one before, we were we were worried about Utica. Were they were they able to develop these young players the way that we want them to, or are they playing the veterans too much? And complete 180. Uh, storyline uh, one season later. So it's those players have a role and they've done a great job uh, developing and kind of creating that culture uh, that I think the Vancouver Canucks and Utica Comets together want to want to create for that entire environment organizationally, not just uh, at the NHL level. So it's well, nice.
3: And that's, that's the thing that I'm, that's the the big trend that I notice um with everybody that I've talked to involved in the organization and I've talked, I've been able to speak with like some pretty prominent people in the organization. Now I've spoken with Jim Benning and Ryan Johnson and Trent Cole and Travis green. I've been able to speak with, with all of these people. And, and the thing that I get the most, the most common theme, the most common thread that I find is this team is organization is looking for people who are passionate about what they do. Uh, you've got Robert Ash, who at a very young age watched his AHL team uh, move out of his hometown and uh, he saw what it did to his, it decimated his community and he made, at a very young age, made that his goal. I'm gonna, I don't know how, but I'm going to bring AHL hockey back to Utica. Well, wow. they've been there for seven years now and they've he's built a very, very strong organization down there. And it's just following suit. If you look at the players that have had success, that have come out of Utica, there's also a very common theme there. They're very, very passionate about what they do. Uh, Thatcher Demko is a student of the game. Mm -hmm. Uh, Thatcher Demko was the player that Robert Ashfield's best kind of defines how they develop prospects in Utica. He came came in at a young age, had big shoes to fill, in Jacob Markstrom, right? And uh, put in the time down there, developed his game, and you know, he's at the NHL level and there are some some people who are saying, well let's make him the starter next year, let Jacob Markstrom walk if he's too expensive. Right. So I don't necessarily agree with that. I think Thatcher still has work to do in his game at the NHL level. I don't know that he's ready to see this the number one just yet, but I think that's a that's a job that's definitely on the horizon for him. So You know, there's a player that's full of passion for his position and for the sport, and uh, he puts in the work. Well, Zach McEwen, I I, I spewed on, on and on and on about Zach McEwen, so I'll I'll stop there. But uh Ashton Sautner, another player who, you know, he's been in this organization since the 2015-16 season as an undrafted free agent. He's a guy that's played 23 NHL games as an un- undrafted free agent. Like, yeah. Those are guys that they identify as players they can win with, right? And I mean, that's, these are players who are, who hasn't had success? You've got a guy, and I, this kind of goes a little bit against character for me, but uh, Jonathan Dolan, that, that player, um, the way things happen with him kind of bothers me a little bit. Uh, you know, he, Here's a guy who was born into hockey I mean, he was born on third base and and acts like he hit a triple, right? Right. (laughs) He's the definition of that. He's a guy that came in and he's got all the skill in the world and he didn't want to, he questioned why other players were being called up ahead of him. Well, that player worked harder than you did, Jonathan. That's why. Yeah.
1: It's a silver spoons. Yeah.
3: Nikolai Goldobin. Super, super skilled player uh well, probably one of the most fun guys you could ever want to be around super super nice guy i uh, i have nothing bad to say about the person i don't have much bad to say about the player but the passion for the game didn't seem to be there he it, it it he didn't have that didn't couldn't quite figure out how to take that next step how to be that, that guy constant going,
1: drive to yeah, if, yeah. If
3: you don't have the puck well you you better be the guy getting on your horse into the corner and getting that puck back or at least yeah. looking like you're trying to. And that just wasn't the case too many nights. And and players like that are going to wash out in a system where they put a high, high value on high character, on work ethic, on drive, and on passion. I mean, yes, you need skilled players, but if those skilled players are not the kind of players you can win with, <laughs> yeah. so they're not going to exactly. be in the system.
1: You have to have your skill players be your best players overall as well and lead by example. And I think that's one of the the things that excites me the most about this rebuild uh, for the Canucks is we see guys like Patterson and Hughes and Horvat and Besser, it's just the attention to detail that they have, the high IQ that they have, and their constant drive to be better than they were before. And, I mean, I I think about the example of how Pedersen broke down his shot into different steps so that he can uh, tweak each little mechanic to make that shot better. And and you see that attention to detail in so many of the players that the Canucks have brought into their system. And the ones that are thriving are those kinds of students. And and it's exciting to see um, just the focus shift to that instead of just uh, whether they are just simply skilled enough to be in the roster or not.
3: Well, so, that, that's an interesting thing there, because uh, I was on with Sir Carrison Price earlier in the week, and, and what I mentioned about Goldobin at the time was that uh, there were a lot of nights this year where I could easily have said he was the most skilled player on the ice. There were not a lot of nights where I would have said he's the most passionate, the most dedicated player on the ice. On the flip side, look at Elias Patterson. yeah. He's easily the most skilled player on the ice most nights. He's also easily the most dedicated, most passionate player on the ice most nights. Uh, That's the blueprint. You're not always good. Not everybody's Elias Pettersson. Not everybody's got that kind of skill. You're not going to match his skill, but you can certainly do your absolute best to match his work ethic and his passion. That's something that's within your control.
0: Well,
1: and the Canucks are full of, of guys like that, like the Tyler Motts and and the Zach McEwen's, the guys that are, they've got the skill, but their effort is what really stands out to you uh, night in and night out. That's the thing that you walk away being like, man, that guy works. And it's not just about his skill. It's not just about uh, where he was playing in the lineup. It's about that any anytime that he was on the ice, you noticed them because they just worked tirelessly. And I think that's, uh, I'm excited because that's ultimately playoff hockey, right? And if the Canucks are, are building towards uh, being a playoff team and not being more than that, being a playoff contender, uh, that's that's how you're going to have to be. You need every guy night in and night out to work tirelessly. And uh, it's it's exciting to see just an entire system chocked full of guys like that.
3: Couldn't agree more.
1: Uh, I'm really excited to see your piece drop. Um, Uh, it's great timing Uh, i didn't realize actually for that question that uh that you had an article coming out about that so i'll be watching very closely for that myself Uh, but we'll jump right into the shootout segment here and then we'll wrap things up there with you sounds good Our shootout, we do have just kind of a bunch of fun rapid-fire questions that we like to lob at our third-period guests and kind of pepper them with with funny, just random questions that people from Twitter would would constantly want me to ask. So, yeah, <laughs> some of them. Uh, yeah, I've loved just kind of seeing everybody's takes on, on things. So, uh, first one right now, and I think it's pretty apt with with the whole quarantine thing. I know a lot of uh, liquor sales have gone up. Uh, across the board is there a particular drink that is your go-to drink
3: well i am a i'm a water guy uh, i'm i'm an alcoholic so i've been sober since 2003. Okay. so uh for me it's uh I, when i used to drink i was just a beer guy uh yeah keep it easy i was just a beer guy but uh i um you know since 2003 since uh, september 30th of 2003 it's been uh my drinks of choice have been uh, water and coffee. And uh, as far as coffee goes, if I can get a fermented Yergachev, that's the best you can get, man.
1: I, I don't know if I've ever heard of that, to be honest.
3: Go to, go to your nearest coffee shop that uh, actually, you know, grinds their own beans and stuff. And uh, order yourself a fermented Yergachev. It's You're an Ethiopian check. coffee. It's got a really, really great, uh, taste. And if you can get it, uh, run it through a French press, uh, that's how I like it. it it's just mm. awesome. Awesome coffee. It's got a really nice, uh, you get a little bit of a blueberry flavor in there, a little bit oh, of a healthy nice. flavor in there. It's just a, it's a great coffee. I used to, uh, one of my, my first, uh, actual job that I got after I got sick with cancer, I tried to go back for, to work for a little bit. It didn't work out so well for me, but, uh. Uh, I was learning how to roast coffee at our local roastery here, and uh, man, oh. just the smell of that uh, that coffee just it's 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 just a great experience.
1: That's such an art. I know. I wish I was more of a coffee person than I am. I I've always wanted to love it. Like I love the smell of it. Uh, I'm a really I'm a big cold drink guy, so I like like iced coffees and stuff probably more more than anything. But I I really need to look that up. Yeah, give it a try. Good oh. chap. Okay, yeah. fermented yogurt. I'll have to remember that. For pizzas, what would be your go-to pizza? Uh,
3: I was always a meat lovers guy. Again, um, I've had a bunch of changes to my diet now since uh, since being sick. I they took out a bunch of my intestines, so much of that is gone. So I had to really change up how I eat and what I eat. But uh, when I actually could eat a, a a pizza the way I liked it, it was just always a meat lovers pizza. That was that's kind of my wheelhouse.
1: Yeah, I think that's, that's my go-to as well. Just load it up, get as much on there as you can. <laughs> for for hockey memories, I know you've created a lot of great hockey memories, and we've talked about uh, some of them off-air. I know everybody knows that you're a big Zach McEwen guy. Is there a particular hockey memory that stands out as your favorite moment?
3: Oh, man, Um you know, before I started working for Canucks Army, if I just uh if I look back at um at when I played and I and I, I never played at any kind of real level. I was a beer league goaltender, so I'll just get yeah, that. Me too. <laughs> um I used to go my my team that I started playing with, I never really started playing hockey till I was in my early twenties. Um I just I grew up with a single mother with four kids and having any of us in hockey was just not gonna happen. So um I didn't really start playing hockey until I was in my early 20s and I started playing in a Duffers league and we would get on the ice at like midnight or 1230 on a Friday night. And we had, uh, it was Duffers. Uh, I mean, I had never played. We had, uh, there were some fellas out there that were well into their 70s. We had lots of ladies out there as well who were just picking the game up. Uh, So that was kind of my introduction to learning how to play the game. And I had a lot of really good memories from back then. Like, you know, the first time you score a goal, because I didn't start as a goalie. I started playing as a forward. Nice. So, you know, the goalie didn't show up one night, and I strapped on the pads. And the first uh, first time I made a glove save, I was like, huh, well, I could probably make a glove save like four or five times in a game. And I'm lucky if I'll score a goal in a game. So I think I could (laughs) play. because that felt pretty cool so you know that first kind of feeling of uh, making that big glove save Um, man the first time I I stepped up a league and got to play in the beer league instead of playing in duffers that was you know you you felt like you were playing in the NHL Um, (laughs) and then I got to uh, jump up I, I, I played for a you know, a season and a half, I think, or two seasons in our our, our A division, our A League, like our, our best hockey that they have up here on the Sunshine Coast. And uh that was a, a, a great experience for me. I really enjoyed uh I enjoyed that. I, I played the team the team that I uh, played for, I, I put the team together. Uh it was basically our our commercial league, our our A division or A League, whatever you want to call it. It was gonna fold. One of their teams folded. Uh, they needed to have four teams to keep the league going. And, uh, you know, I, I really wanted to help out with that. So I took my team of beer leaguers and added a few other, uh, of my buddies who were maybe slightly better hockey players, but had no business playing in that A division. (laughs) We went out there and helped that, that league kind of stay afloat, uh, for a year until another team could join. And, um, (laughs) man, we got our butts handed to us game after game. (laughs) When you're a goalie and you're letting in 12 or 13 goals in a game, it can feel, uh, it it should feel pretty bad for a guy. But I was up there with all my buddies. Uh, You know, most of us were having a good time, even though we were, you know, we were getting lit up like that every night. Um, But when I looked at the, uh, you know, I, yeah, I let in a lot of goals in a lot of games, but I saw a lot of shots, and for me, that just made my game that much better. And then the following, right. season, the following season, I had quit drinking, and I had uh, I had got contact lenses so I could actually see pucks coming at me from the free line. <laughs> that helps. And boy, oh boy, <laughs> I, I started to become a hockey player for a little while there. But uh, before uh, before I got into covering hockey for you know for Canucks Army, I think the biggest um, probably the two biggest things for me at that time were I got to play against the Canucks alumni team when they came through my town. So, um, I got to go head to head against Richard Brodeur. I got for one period. Uh, we had three goalies played the game. I played the third period. Um, so I got to go head to head against Richard Brodeur. Um, Kirk McLean played that game, but he played as a forward. So, uh, you know, he took a couple of shots on me. Um, uh, the very first shot that I, I had on me in the game, um, uh, BJ McDonald was the fella's name. Uh, he was the guy that Glenn Sather uh, said I could put a fire hydrant on Gretzky's wing and he'd score 50. He, he played on Gretzky's wing one year. So the very first shot I faced in that game, he came down and ripped one glove side and I grabbed it out of the air, like, you know, right around the world with it, hot dogged it. And I felt like <laughs> a king of the world on that one. So, that was a fun experience getting to do that in, in front of my hometown. I, I don't think I'd ever seen our, uh, our building that packed with people. It was standing wow. room. Me. Um, so that was a great experience. Uh, they also, like I live on the sunshine coast, uh, Gibson's is on the sunshine coast and that's where they filmed the Beachcombers, great Canadian TV series. Right. Well, a bunch of years ago, uh, they decided to do a Beachcombers Christmas movie and they filmed that here. And, uh, at the time I was lucky enough to be, uh, between jobs. So I got to spend four days, um, playing hockey and getting paid very well for it. And, (laughs) uh, and I'm in that beachcombers Christmas movie. Uh, I'm the goaltender for the pro stars team in that, in that, uh, in that show. So I, um, you know, Tiger Williams was in that movie. Uh, Lume was in that movie. Gary Nyland was in that movie. Dean Malcock was in that movie. Uh, so a handful of guys that that played some pro hockey that i got to spend four days just screwing around on the ice with in between takes like when you can go out there and play shinny with yurke lume i mean that was <laughs> a pretty, pretty great experience man um and you know of of all the people that were in that movie uh you know we were that we were called special skills extras so we didn't get to go and sit inside with uh with all the actors and stuff when they were you know between scenes when you were eating or whatever we we were all sitting outside and you had to be in all your gear and ready to film at a minute's notice so you're it's summer you're out in in the wow. hot lunch, all your hockey gear with your skate guards on eating your lunch and yurke lume comes out and sits down with us instead of you know hanging out with all the actors and stuff right he came in and was just shooting the breeze with us we were asking him questions about the 94 finals and it was just wow. uh, that was a pretty great experience but um you know since since I got my gig with Canucks army um uh, you know forging a relationship with uh, with Zach McEwen and with his family that's obviously obviously meant a lot to me um being invited to sit with his, his parents at his first NHL game and and uh, getting to chat with him for a couple of minutes after the game um, down in the Canucks family room, you know, being able to shake his hand and congratulate him. And, you know, hey, Zach, how's that? You know, <laughs> got your first point. You know, I, I had spoken with him at training camp, um, you know, earlier in the season, but I all I'd done was write about him up until that point, I hadn't really you know, chatted with him all that much besides our, our interview at training camp. So it was kind of cool to experience that. And, you know, to be asked to experience that, I don't know that many people get to do that. So that's definitely, um, right up there for me for sure. And, uh, you know, getting to know, um, as it was, I didn't get to know him very, very well, but I got to know him a little bit, getting to know Jason Botchford and just getting to, um, uh, learn a few things from him, uh, Getting like I spoke about off air, uh, mm-hmm. my first my first time covering training camp there, and just kind of standing back in awe and watching the man work, watching how he formed his questions, how he asked the player, his body language, all of that stuff. Watching how the players interacted with him, like the players love this guy. I mean. Jake Vertanen's face was beaming when he was talking. They were joking back and forth. So to me, just uh, not not all of us that are doing this now have have been able to experience um, just that little bit of botch. And to me, that was that was pretty huge.
1: Well, that's that's incredible. I I mean, that's just a a huge list of of fantastic memories that are they seem like well they probably are once in a lifetime experiences each one of them in their own right and it's cool that uh you've been able to experience so many of those um I know like I I didn't get the chance to meet uh Jason Botford in person just talking just on social media and, and stuff like that but like I would I would give anything uh for that like that's that's incredibly special um I know I've, uh, I've done I haven't played alumni games, but I've been to alumni games, so that would have been a lot of fun to play in, because uh, I've been to one and it was up in up in Smithers, because I grew up in in that area, and uh, the building is just electric. It's so it's so packed, tiny little community arena, and and just wall to wall people. You can't even get in there hardly at all, um, and and just the energy in there was was fantastic. So. I could only imagine what it would have been like being on the ice and seeing seeing that all around you. Just it would have almost felt like you were made the big
0: show.
3: <laughs> it, it was uh, it was definitely um, it was definitely an experience that I won't I won't ever forget. And and uh, you know you can't really see them anymore. But I had uh, I I at the time I got to get uh, Kirk McLean and Richard Brodeur to sign the inside of my goalie mask. I, oh, I've cool. Had- it a few times since then so the, their signatures kind of got blown over with a bit of overspray but uh, you know just I that's the only piece of hockey gear that I have left from my old gear I still have my mask it hangs on my wall here in the Comets Cave and and I know that uh, underneath that overspray Richard Broder and and Kirk McLean signed it and they signed it because I got to share the ice with them and and uh, that's pretty special to me I mean I didn't grow up um I didn't grow up a Canucks fan. I grew up in Ontario, so I didn't uh, I didn't get out here until 1989. But I was well aware of uh, Richard Roder uh, before I became a Canucks fan. Before I moved out here, I remembered uh, I remembered their uh, their run back in the day. Um, but uh, I was definitely a, a massive uh, fan of Kirk McLean. Um, mm-hmm. It's funny because I've got photos of me from that game, and I'm wearing. You know, basically wearing Kirk McLean pads. <laughs> you know, I've got yeah, the Von, I've got the Von <laughs> wearing vision his old setup uh, pretty much. Bond <laughs> vision pads on, and and uh, the mask that I'm wearing, uh, like my mask was uh, made by the same guy. So it's just oh, it's, cool. It's just kind of a cool thing um, that I, you know, it's an experience, you're a guy. You're never gonna forget that.
1: No, no kidding. Well, thanks so much for joining us this week. I had. I feel like I could talk to you all day about about this stuff because it's just so nice. First off, to be talking hockey right now, but uh, it's nice to to hear such fantastic stories and and you've got such a slew of them that uh, that you have in your uh, you, that you, in your memories and your experience. And uh, I know that you've been bringing a lot of that to the Canucks Combo uh, on the Patreon, on the podcast, and and been a big fan of the show and and everything that's been. Uh, how it's evolved in the last well, year even uh, it's changed a lot and uh, so for anybody that's not already um, subscribed or um, a member on patreon or uh, an active follower of the canucks convo you can find cory's stuff there now um, did you want anything to or did you want to plug anything or conclude with any final thoughts Corey?
3: Um, well, I can say I've got this, uh, this piece coming out should be sometime this week on Canucks Convo, uh, where I'm going to, it's, it's looking like it's getting into a bunch of words for me, so it might end up being a two-part piece where I'm going to break down kind of, um, you know, who, who could be on their way out with the Comets because they do have a lot of free agents, uh, both restricted and unrestricted. Um, they've got 13 guys at the American League level who, uh, their contracts are up, so, there could be some changes there and i i'm going to take a little bit of a look into uh in the second part of that article into who could potentially be joining the team this year out of the prospect pool uh it's going to be kind of hard to dial that side of things in because uh we don't really know when hockey's going to start and that might affect uh some of these overseas guys about whether or not they they sign contracts or not for the upcoming season yeah. so i've got that i've got that piece coming and uh i will uh i'll give you the the scoop here i've got uh so zach McEwen, as you know i've i've formed a bit of a relationship with zach and his family and uh, his grandfather cliff and i uh have a common uh bond we're both uh uh cancer survivors and uh cliff recently um made a facebook post that he's been it's been 14 years since he was diagnosed with with cancer and uh You know, that would have put Zach at, like, 10 years old. And I just, to me, it it immediately made me want to reach out to him and just kind of get his take on, uh, you know, A, the fact that he was able to beat the cancer, and see Zach, um, you know, realize his dream of becoming an NHL player. Like, I I think that'll make for a really good story. And then uh, uh, Zach's mom messaged me this morning and told me about how – Cliff has been involved with Hockey PEI for like a really long time. He's been involved with Hockey Canada uh, and how he was such an, a fantastic source of advice for for Zach's parents on, on how to navigate um you know his his minor hockey go- coming up and uh and that sort of a thing. And I know there's one quote that uh Juliana got from him, Zach's mom got from her dad. Um the gist of it is basically if he's good enough, it doesn't matter where he plays. The right people are going to see him. Yeah. But that was at a time when Zach was, you know, worried that he wasn't on the right team at the right level. And his parents were worried that maybe he wasn't on the right team at the right level. And Cliff kind of just said, look, if he's, if he's good enough, they're going to see him and they saw him. Right. So that article that's going to be coming up. I messaged, uh, I messaged Cliff this morning and, uh, he graciously agreed. So uh, it's going to be a blast for me to sit down and, and talk some hockey with uh, with Zach McEwen's grandfather. And, and that uh, that article is going to come out on our Patreon probably sometime won't be next week, probably the week after. Oh, that's very
1: special. I'm, I'm excited to read that one as well. well, that's that's a really cool opportunity there to to reach out and talk to him. That's that's really nice.
3: I think it should make for a good story and, uh, and the common bond there for, between him and I, I think, uh, that that's what really kind of made me want to reach out. And then it was just, uh, again, like with this, you, with this interview today, with me being at, at the same time I'm writing this article about, yeah. about the changes, I had it in my head to message Cliff and then Juliana messaged me this morning with this information out of nowhere about, you know, how, you know he he's been involved in hockey for so long and i'm just like oh that's it i gotta talk to him now (laughs) yeah it worked out great so i'm i'm really looking forward to to chatting with him and and to getting that story out there those are the kind of stories i'm really eager to try to share those are the stories i want to tell i i love the human element of hockey almost as much as i love the uh the, the game side of it and the sport itself but uh you know, behind all these hockey players, there's a, a really, really fantastic support system. And uh, I just, I like getting to know those people as well.
1: Well, that's awesome. And I'm I'm looking forward to uh, vicariously through you being able to get to know the the McEwen family that much better and uh, such a close knit and, and tight family. You can see it uh, just in their interactions and uh, very excited to see uh, just kind of a glimpse into, into his inspirations and the people that are involved in in his life so uh, thanks again for joining us it was an awesome time having you on absolute pleasure to talk with you you're um love to have you on again sometime i know i've been uh for a long time wanting to have you on as a guest and i don't know why but it just uh, never happened until now (laughs) but uh happy to have you on and i hope you have a great rest of your weekend here
3: Oh, thanks a lot, man. I'm always up for talking, comments, hockey. You know, I I love that. So uh, hit me up anytime. I'll I'll be there.
1: Sounds great.
0: All right.
3: All right. Have a good one, man.
0: Thanks you as well. From Sean Warren and the Area 51 podcast. Thank you for listening, and please like, share, and follow along as we continue to grow. Join in the conversation on social media. We also now have new merchandise available on our own website you can find it there on shop.spreadshirt.ca backslash area 51 hockey podcast and you can grab some great merch thanks again and stay tuned for the next episode of the area 51 hockey podcast cheers